Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as host Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Welcome to the Mike Avenue Show. I am your host, Mike Avenue, of course, sitting alongside Pop DiBiase. Today is Thursday, September 28th, 2023, and there are so many topics that we want to slice and dice and get into, so we're not going to waste any time with any formalities. Let's get right into it, Pop. want to start off really quickly with, do you have any NBA news or notes let's just start with that at the top because sounds like maybe things are slowly uh gonna start ramping up for the opening day which is probably what three four weeks right and you know the nba was a little quiet for the last month or so you know right. we had everybody complaining about the usa team not winning and all that good mm-hmm. stuff and then we come back around to Dame Lillard and his constant uh, bickering of wanting to leave uh, Portland and he wants to be on the team that he chooses in Miami and blah, 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 blah. So the Blazers went ahead and found themselves in the middle of kind of some chaos. And then they were able to fix this situation by literally calling Dame Lillard and his agent and telling them that they're going to send him wherever they want to send him to because he doesn't run. He's not going to control the outcome of the trade because you request a trade and we'll find a team that's going to be suitable for you. We'll ask your permission, but we're not going to just trade you to Miami and not get back anything that we don't, that we want. And everybody right. in didn't want to participate in helping both of those teams make that deal. It's that simple. Okay, let's break that down a little bit because you kind of uh, said a lot of information there. Why did Lillard want to get traded, first of all? What was going on in Portland? Is it that they're not a winning team? Well, I money? Like, what, you know, he wants to be a part of a super team. Let's break it down. Money. The, the biggest reason why you can't put a super team together in Portland is because he has all the money. Dude's made $60 million a year to set, play 50 games. Come on, man. Um, dude, it's it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a easy call. You have but to how, have- But how is he going to coexist with the Greek freak then? Well, the thing is, we have this new fanatical NBA that thinks every superstar is going to mesh together and become the next Kobe and Shaq or become the next uh, Bill and uh, Bob Cousy. And all of a sudden, they're going to dominate the NBA, blah, 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 blah. But really, Dame Lillard is a part of the same deal that's been a part of the NBA for absolutely ever. He's in his 11th year, and they had to figure out how to get this contract off the books and play younger and bring in players that are going to buy into a certain way of playing basketball. That means more defense and less reckless shooting. And pretty much they went and got did the right thing. They went and got uh, some pretty good players to come help them out. And I think DeAndre Ayton is an absolute steal. That's the best player that was involved in all these deals to go to a team. And, um, I truly do think that Dame Lillard playing for the uh, 
Bucks is a last stop effort to try to get him a ring with the guy that is already at the top of the league as the creme de la creme. And to give Milwaukee in one of their faces of the league a little bit more airtime so if they can suffice and so they can go ahead and make it to where the Bucks can be a actual uh, box office team. This is the only team I've seen win a championship, them and the uh, Raptors, where it went radio silent the year the the year that you after you won it. Nobody cared. You know, they weren't the biggest story in sports. And that's a problem. When you're a world champion and you're not the biggest story in sports, that means that you're in a bad market. And what they're trying to do is make it the Bucks more attractive because they know that they, they're one of the better teams in the league, but it's hard to pay attention to the Bucks because where they're at. But I think that's the case for a lot of NBA cities, right? Like, like Portland is an example. Utah. Salt Lake City or Sacramento, even in California, or the Spurs, and they had a lot of success. You know, they picked, I think they picked smart markets, but you got to pay the price for being there, which is that you're not, you know, you're, you're picking spots where you can thrive without competition, right? And when that's the case, when you're in a town that has like 400,000 people or 700,000 people or whatever, you know, there's just, it's just not going to compare to Philly and New York and LA and San Francisco, et cetera. You know what I mean? That's, so that's kind of part and parcel with the decisions to expand into those locations. Uh, but with that said, so let me ask you this. You, and your, your knowledge of basketball is far superior to mine, Pop. So I'm going to ask you this before we move on, which is, does his style of play mesh with the Milwaukee Bucks? Because, and I come from this perspective, I almost kind of get the feeling that in the last like 10, 15 years, you know, you could be like a Harden. Harden puts up the numbers and almost doesn't matter if like he's up, you know, meshes with the team or not. As long as dude is putting up points, he's going to have a job. And it's all about his scoring average. And, and it doesn't really matter if they win or lose. He's going to keep getting contracts. He's going to keep playing in the league. Is, is, is Lillard going to be known for that? The guy who's, who ends up just playing for a long time, puts up a lot of numbers, and then that's it? Or is he going to get himself a ring with a team that's done it before? I think that, you know, sky's the limit, but we, we don't have much more time. That's the whole thing. Dame Lillard's window is closing fairly quickly. We've, we're entering year 11. You guys got to understand that year 11 for a guy who's playing at, a, at the top level of the game, it's, it, the, the regression is, it will be in place. Dame Lillard is guaranteed to win, miss 10 games a season with injuries and rest. Uh, another thing is you, you can – also guarantee that there's a possible um, rift that could occur if the losing uh, begins because now you don't have control of the locker room. In Portland, he had control. In Milwaukee, you have to be accountable and you have to fall in line. The one guy who runs that locker room is Giannis. And Giannis is a cool, fun guy. 
But I think one thing that he wants to do now is he wants to start winning game. He wants to start winning, winning consistently. Giannis has probably been embarrassed the most out of any superstar I've ever seen in the last 20 years to where he plays so well, but the team plays so bad in, in some of their biggest moments that it's really just a watch. You know what I mean? Getting put out in the first round, that's absolutely embarrassing. And it wasn't the first time that happened. Um, also, um, getting put out by teams that you shouldn't be getting put out by. And I know that it was tough because Giannis was hurt last year in the playoff series. Nobody wanted to highlight that situation that he was very hurt against the Heat. And if he was 100% healthy, they win the series. Let's not, let's not even act like Miami had a chance if he's healthy. You know what I mean? Because they didn't. And mm-hmm. And pretty much, you know, nobody wants to highlight that because they're too busy always trying to take away somebody's greatness. Oh, he lost in the first round. Oh, he's mid and he's not going to be, he's not one of those guys. He's just not. <laughs> and it's like, bro, he got four other, he got 11 other teammates out there, dude. And they, they're the ones that you need to be uh, yelling and screaming about. You know what I mean? He did everything possible he could and he played hurt. So get off of his back. He's already won the MVP twice. He's already won the Defensive Player of the Year twice. He's already won an NBA championship. He has nothing he has to prove to any of y'all because he's going to the Hall of Fame already. So that's what that's what's going to happen. You know what I mean? So at the end of the day, he's just playing for more credentials on his resume so they can just brag about these things in the future. It's that simple. I got you, man. That's... That's a well-summed-up explanation there, and I think that will transition us from, you know, one potential team that wants to win it all to another one in the Los Angeles Dodgers. The reason I want to start there is because I kind of feel like they've been coasting, like, since, like, for the last two months. What, one in every series is coasting? (laughs) Yeah, I mean... (laughs) I mean, like, how can uh, – do you think that – how with with so many, like, okay, usually they have a lot of veteran experienced pitchers. But right now, I mean, it's Clayton Kershaw, you know, there's no Urias, there's no Walker Bueller. You know, I could go on. You kind of have, like, a bunch of guys who are lucky to be thrown into the mix of a winning team. But does that mean that they're able to get up for the challenge come October? And I'm obviously not talking about the hitters like Mookie and and Freeman, but more so on the pitching side of things and without having an established bonafide closer and so on and so forth. What are your thoughts? Are they going to be able to rise up to the occasion, do you think? Well, the Dodgers got not one, not two, but three young arms that are absolutely tremendous, Mike. And what they're going to do is they're about to introduce the new group. Look, Dustin May and Goslin and all those guys were guys that people had scratched about, too, when we went into the uh, 2020 uh, World Series. But those guys came through. They prevailed. They did their jobs. But, yeah, we had Walker Bueller. We had um, – Clayton Kershaw, um, healthy. We had Uris as well, too. But I feel like those guys in Goslin and uh, May, they're always going to be – they were always interchangeable. And we always had guys at the farm that are ready to come up and replace these guys. And I feel like the three – the this three amigo trio 
of these guys, they're going to be good. They're going to be great. They're going to be awesome. My biggest concern is the middle relief of the bullpen, not the back end of the bullpen. We have that situation uh, taken care of with Shelby. And um, I think that that will be something that's very key. And the Dodgers have to be ready to have pitchers go more than six innings. I think they even know that as well, too. So, Clayton okay, well, Kirk- how are you going to do that? I mean, Lance Lynn, is he the number two? They, the Dodgers have no choice. Lance Lynn got traded to be one of the Dodgers' uh, top three pitchers in the playoffs. And I would say I would rather have him at home than on the road. Let's just For say sure. that. Because sure. he, he's at home, he'll be able to. And you know what? I would rather see Lance Lynn pitch during the day and not at night. Because, But maybe that might not be good because I think he, he gets a little tore up during the day. But I think that having Lance Lynn – with us is better because he's more confident when he was playing for the white Sox, there was a lot of games where he did very well and they didn't do anything and then there's games where he'll give up five runs but he can look over there and know he got mookie Betts and freddie freeman to lead the charge and the dodgers don't quit so they'll get back in a game that's the whole thing dodgers get the rallying and they're down five runs, they can, in a blink, they can make it a six-run inning. That's what makes this team so special, and that's what makes the pitching be, okay, just get out. That's all we need y'all to do. We don't need you to go out here and be Earl Hershiser 1988. We don't need you to do all that. I don't need you to be Pedro in 2003. I just need you to go out there and go one, two, three. It doesn't matter if you strike them out, pop them out, ground them out, just get them out. That's all you need to do. Well, yeah, I hear you. And by the way, you mentioned Shelby. Was that kind of like a, a slight dig at Phillips because you didn't mention Evan Phillips? Well, I didn't mention Evan Phillips because Evan Phillips <laughs> is pretty good, but it seems like we don't call him and call him in enough and everything like that. And I kind of it kind of slipped my mind to be honest with you, Mike. I didn't mean to slight him or anything like that. Okay, okay. <laughs> guys at the back end like that. Okay, I just I just checked it because I was like, you know, I wonder if that's kind of a subtle a subtle jab or something, you know? Because coach, uh, you know, there's three there's three guys that do scare me: Vesia, Almonte, and Ferguson. All those guys are barbecue chicken when they start struggling. What about Sheehan? Sheehan pitched absolutely phenomenal the other uh, last night in Colorado, of all places. Yeah, I think his ERA is still uh, pretty, pretty she, up there. To me, Sheehan isn't going to be a guy you put in there for five or six innings. Sheehan gets you six six to nine outs, and then he gets his at, get, gets his butt back on the bench. But you know who's going to be the key pitcher? And I pretty much was waiting to bring him up. Ryan Yarborough. Y'all can everybody's everybody's sleeping on Yarborough. But the soft toss lefty is gonna be key in this in this situation because the how versatile he is. You know what I mean? He can pitch three innings one day, then come back and pitch three innings the next day. That's how the Dodgers can work this situation out. They got a guy that can be a stopper, and that's Ryan Yarborough. Well, you know, but see, here's the thing. You know, it's interesting to me to hear you say uh, some of these things, and I'll tell you why. Sheehan's ERA is almost five. So he came off of a good outing and brought his ERA down to 4.92, okay? Yarbrough 
has a lot of experience with the Tampa Rays, but statistically, he's not like necessarily that great. You know, his career ERA is in the mid fours. So what I'm getting at is this. It almost seems like your standard for Dodger pitching has changed. Because typically we're talking about a bunch of guys who have ERAs in the low twos, mid twos. You may even have a reliever in the ones, 1.9 ERA, something crazy like that. That's kind of been Dodgers, the Dodgers standard of excellence over the last like 12 years. But now we're talking about guys who have ERAs in the fours and fives and saying that they're sufficient. I don't know, man. And I, and I also don't know about going into a series uh, with Lance Lynn pitching game two. He's another one of these guys that's got a ridiculously high ERA. You know, I think the Dodgers, you're going to have to win Clayton Kershaw's mounts. Mounts, like he's a jockey. <laughs> his, his, Clayton Kershaw starts, and you're going to have to put up some runs. I, I, I think if, anyone, if either of those two are lacking, they're going to be a sad disappointment. That's kind of my take on it. Yeah, I know, and everybody's just, you know, everybody's so worried about the Dodgers pitching. I understand that part. But the Dodgers cleaned – I feel like the Dodgers cleaned all that up over the last two or three months, man. They haven't really had that many bad games pitching-wise like they did at the first half of the season. I know where you're coming from, Mike, because some of these, some of them days it will be like, well, the Dodgers just won three in a row. Then they'll snap back around and lose by ten runs at home. You know what I mean? And it's because the pitcher got absolutely destroyed in the first inning, and then another, the Dodgers try to come back, and another pitcher gets destroyed in his fifth inning. And, you know, the, the, it, the, and it, the, and it goes on and on and on. And you didn't see the consistency that you needed to see. But now I see a lot of good things with this team. But then it always goes back to who's catching the ball as well, too. And the catcher can be the most key figure. I can tell you about a guy who was probably the best at, you know, making average pitchers look absolutely dominant, and that was Sandy Alomar Jr. And, you know, there's a lot of guys that don't call games um, the way that they should be calling games, and that's why Russell Wilson was such – I'm not Russell Wilson, but Russell Martin was such an asset to the Dodgers Mm – in his first run with the Dodgers because he was by far the best defensive catcher in all of baseball, but he was the best catcher at calling games not named Buster Posey. And, you know, you he, know was, he, he was, he was, yeah, he was good. He was a really good catcher, man. You know, Dodgers have actually been blessed with a lot of good catchers, like from Sosha to Mike Piazza, you know, I could go on and on, but we got to take a timeout. So we're going to hold that thought. We're going to come back right after this. Don't go anywhere. Anybody because we're going to keep talking baseball. He's going to fight for Dodger Blue. I'm going to see if I could sink the ship. And you're going to be back with us in two minutes. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, 
host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to Mike at the MikeAbadirShow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Back on the second segment of the Mike Abadir Show featuring Pop DiBiase. And uh, Pop, you were right in the middle of, of talking about catchers when we had to take our time out. I want you to finish your thought because I think they have a really special catcher in Will Smith. Um, but I think the point you were about to get to making is it's not just offensively because everybody sees that he's like a 20 home run guy every year. Uh, but the way he handles the pitching staff is, is pretty superb. And I know that pitchers like to pitch to certain people. Uh, I, I don't remember who Barnes's pitchers are versus who Will Smith's are, but um, yeah, I think they have two guys that are pretty good behind the dish. Well, you know, Barnes's pitcher is none other than Clay Kershaw. That, you know, and that's just because they have familiarity with each other. And before that, it used to always be a big problem for everybody. A.J. Hinch used to be um, his uh, catcher as well, too. Because, um, you know, Clay used to have a – you know, Clay Ker- Kershaw seems to always have a personal catcher because it was really tough to find him a really good catcher after um, – after Russell, because that's why I always say Russell Martin turned a few guys into stars, man, and they would never, they'll never admit that to you. And he actually helped guys continue the, their careers a little bit longer as well, too, who were at the end of their careers when they got to the Dodgers. So, you know, um, it's always valuable to have the great defensive catcher. Will Smith is a great catcher because he's versatile, he can hit and he can do the defensive side as well too but his hitting takes up more of the defensive side so you don't really get 
the props for his defensive side. And there's a lot of times where he makes some mistakes in games that are just, you know, you could be, that's some basic stuff that you, basic mistake that you just made. And you, you, you constantly doing it, kid. You got to fix that, you know? So it's, you know, practice makes uh perfect in a sense, but there, you'll never be perfect, but you can be damn near that, you know? So it is what it is at the end of the day, but the Dodgers to me, they're doing everything the right way. They're playing hard all the way until the end of the season, and they're doing that because they didn't do that last year. And once they get to the point to where they know, hey, it's the final. It's Sunday afternoon. They're playing against the their rival, the uh, Giants. Just get everybody out of here healthy, and then everybody's gonna go and chill out for a week. Hopefully, everybody's hanging out at Dodger Stadium, getting extra uh, BP, extra uh, bullpens, all that good stuff, all the things they probably didn't do last year, and then make sure that they're ready to go for whoever wins between the Phillies and who gets the uh, final spot in the um, wild card. Well, actually, the Brewers and whoever gets the final spot in the uh, wild card. And I was well, interesting say- because the Cubs are playing the Braves right now, and that was actually going to be my next question for you, which is, do you think that the Braves I – mean, I know they want to lock up the, the home field, and, and they're going to. But you got to wonder if there's like – if I'm just making up a scenario. If they're like, we definitely don't match up good with whoever, the Reds. So we need to make sure that the Cubs get in, right? Or we don't want to match up with the Cubs. We better eliminate them now. Do you think any of that kind of creeps into their mind? Um, they're going head to head. Is why why I'm um, I'm bringing this up. They're playing against each other right now. Okay. Well, I would say that you know, Cubs just need to get into the playoffs. They've already blown two games, and they're really making it hard on themselves, and they're making it really easy on the Marlins, who could have just went ahead and just threw up the white flag a few days ago, but no, they're still fighting. They're still going at it. They're trying to make the playoffs. They're well ahead of schedule than most what most people thought, except me, because I did have them going over their win amount of 76 games this year. And um, they are in position right now to steal that final spot, but it would be utter just just it would be an utter failure for the Cubs to be kind of bad the first two and a half months of the season then cut it on to where they became one of the best teams in baseball for three straight months and then absolutely just just wreck that whole situation in the final two weeks of the season that would be heartbreaking for the whole city of Chicago because this is the team that I even said that if they can get it together they're going to be issues for everybody and I truly do feel that if they make the playoffs, they'll come in probably as the final seed, the sixth seed, and they'll give the Brewers the issues because that's a divisional uh, rival. But I truly do feel that they would be better off against the Dodgers than the Braves if they were, you know, if 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 they get to the divisional series because right. it seems like the Dodgers don't have the the dominant pitching as from in Mike's uh eyes that would be able to 
really sit down the Cubs. You know what I mean? And with the Cubs pitching, be able to hit their stride at the right time. You got Stroman coming back. You got Justin Steele. And you got those guys the first two games. And that would probably be a split. And then when you look into the other parts of the Cubs uh, rotation, it becomes an even bag with who they're going against. So it would be a tough series for the Dodgers. And I would say the easier series for the Dodgers would possibly be the Marlins or the Diamondbacks if they wind up being six. But it looks like the Diamondbacks are going to lock in that second wild card. But you don't know because Diamondbacks are in a bad situation. Not a bad situation, but they're in a real win win or go home situation because they got an Astros team coming in that has to win. And the Astros have to win that series. It's not anything like, oh, we can just go in here and lose two out of three. No, they have to win two out of three to go ahead and solidify that final spot because this is the scenario that they're in. The Mariners are sitting at four games out and of first place, but they're half a game out of the wild card spot and they got four games against the Astros tonight. So it's a lot. It's a lot, man. It's a lot going on at for those final playoff spots, but we're in the National League right now. And I really truly feel that the Cubs do have to win, I would say, the weekend. Uh weekend sweep would really set it off for them over the top to get to the playoffs. And the Marlins really are in a you got to win pretty much every single game to get here, in my opinion. And the Diamondbacks are in the same situation where they really just got to get two out of three, and they're good. And the Phillies have already clinched their playoff spot, so they're fine. So we got four teams in, and we're looking for the other two over this weekend. And one last thing, we can't forget about the Reds. The Reds can make a big move because they're only two and a half games out of the final spot. The Reds can make a big move this weekend. If everybody loses, they can get in. So there it is. Well, I think the Diamondbacks, tough matchup. I think they only need to win one game. And I think because of tiebreakers, that, that'll get them to the 85th win. And uh, some of those other teams have 82. And I think they have the tiebreaker. So I think if they win one game, uh, I think they'll be okay. Although I am not sure, do they play an extra game anymore if you have if you're tied with the same record, or are they just going to go to the tiebreaker? That I'm not sure with this newer format. You know, um, I know that they would for the division. I, I'm just not sure for the wild card. Uh, here's something that's pretty crazy, and I agree with you. The Reds are still, uh, you know, mathematically alive. It is a possibility, but so are the Padres. And to me, I think it's really a shame that the light bulb didn't turn on for these guys until September. You know, they were really average all year, mediocre all year. They never got their shit together. They never pitched really well on the same day that they hit really well. We didn't see that beast from the West that a lot of us thought they would be. Not Pop DiBiase necessarily, but I know Mike Abadir did. You know, I really thought that they were going to be a legit, you know, one of the, the top uh, power rankings, top five type of team, top three type of team. Um, but right now, I believe they need to win out and they need everybody to lose out. So their chances aren't good, but it's pretty remarkable that they were able to pass the Giants. Uh, I mean, it was kind of like, you know, when a, when a horse just is – 
gassed out, and then you have a closer just zips by him. That's what the Padres did to the Giants. When if you look at the standings like a month ago, it didn't look like the Padres were going to catch anybody. Uh, so it's pretty remarkable. I think that begs the question, what do you do with Melvin? What do you do with these big contracts? Who do you bring back? How do you tweak this thing so that they get off to a better start next year? And that's the beauty of baseball. Here we are, we're talking about contenders and who's going to get in. But there are other conversations to be had which don't involve the playoff teams like the Padres and another SoCal team, which is the Angels. So I think it'll be interesting scenarios to see what those teams do and how they handle their future uh, in, for 2024. But sticking with the relevant, so I think Arizona has uh, pretty much as close to solidifying their spot as possible. Uh, the Phillies are already clinched, as you've already suggested. Game on, man. Let's see if the Cubs can do it or the Marlins. But right now, when you look at the analytics uh, model on ESPN, they give the Marlins a 70-30 chance over the Cubs. 70% Marlins, 30% Cubs in terms of who gets in. So it'll be a fun weekend. That's for darn sure, man, because the Marlins weren't expected to be there. Right. Quite right. frankly, neither were the Cubs. But guess who the Marlins have this weekend? They got the Pirates. Yeah. They got the Pirates, whereas the Cubs have their hated division rivals, the Brewers. Uh, for reference, the Reds have the Cardinals. They're on the road in St. Louis. The Diamondbacks, as you already mentioned, they're hosting the Astros. The... Padres are on the road playing the White Sox. That's kind of a weird last weekend series. Padres yeah. and the White Sox. Are they going to be able to have any type of uh, uh, situation where they get in? The Padres would have to win out and all I those other teams would have to lose. What's that? I, I thought they were eliminated with the Giants the other night. No, they thought so, and then they came back and said, it was funny, it was on the air, and they came back and said, we've been corrected. They're still mathematically alive. Uh, oh, they, they was eliminated at the top of the month. <laughs> uh, everybody thought so, man. It's, just, it's, it's a crazy thing, but they've been on a roll, man. Uh, all I, all I the Dodgers have played the Giants. To... The personal battle of the Dodgers is up 20 games in that, so, you know, that's all I need to see. Ah. <laughs> right, that's for sure. Look, the Dodgers have wiped uh, the butts of their neighbors in the south and their uh, rival foes in the north. It's not even a competition right now. You know, right. it's it's kind of crazy because the Giants actually at one point were were looking pretty good this year in terms of their playoff positioning, and even though the Diamondbacks have got off to a great start. The, Gi the Giants caught up to them. Uh, and I thought the Diamondbacks were done at that point. I'll be honest with you. I thought, you know what, the D-backs, they're young. They blew a big lead. They had a great record. Sayonara. But they kind of reemerged, man. It was uh, pretty remarkable. And they didn't make necessarily a lot of uh, deadline trade deadline moves. They did get that closer from Seattle, Seawald. 
Uh, but overall, man, I, it's not like they got like a huge stick or, you know, a power pitcher or anything like that for the rotation. So I'm pretty impressed with the Cubs and, and what they've been able to do. And so, yeah, man, that's that's pretty much a roundup. And the reason, folks, that we're not talking about the American League is because really the only suspense there is in terms of jockeying for positioning, you know, for the division, for home field, et cetera. Blue Jays you know, get swept this weekend and not make the playoffs. You know that, right? And all three teams get in from the um, – all, and both of the Western teams get in and got three West teams in the playoffs. So, yeah, the three out of these four are going to move on. Toronto, Texas, Houston, Seattle. Mm-hmm. Now, one of those in the West are going to win the division. So, now we're talking two out of these three. Toronto, Houston, and Seattle. Right now, it looks like Seattle is the odd man out, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Astros and Toronto both have 87 wins at the time of this uh, show, at the time of this recording on Thursday mid-afternoon. And Seattle has 85 wins. So there are two wins behind in the win column that they're going to need to make up. And there's really... No time to waste. They, they'll have to do it right now. In terms of analytics, the Toronto Blue Jays have a 90% chance that they're going to make the playoffs. The Astros have an 83% chance that they're going to make, a playoff, make the playoffs. And so uh, that leaves Seattle with a 27% possibility, probability to be able to get in. Hey, man, we've seen wilder things happen. That's for sure. You know, I think the Pacific Northwest really wishes that they got their asses in gear a little bit earlier too because there were a lot of high hopes just like there were for the Padres down south in the National League, you know, uh, up north, way north in Seattle in the American League, you know, a lot of people thought this was the Mariners' division to take. You know, they didn't think that Texas would make that leap so quickly um, and it would be the Mariners battling it out with the Astros but people were giving the edge to the Mariners because Astros had lost uh, Verlander. So that's kind of where it's at. That's why they play the games. Julio was absent the first couple of months of the season. He's been an MVP in the last three months of the season. Sometimes that's what happens, man. I think you made the point, Pop, maybe in early May. You said wins and losses at this time of year – determine who gets into the playoffs. And that's 100% true. Don't you think that those stretches where the Padres were going two and eight out of every 10 games, that that wouldn't have made a difference? If they even just went five and five in those 10-game stretches times two 10-game periods, they'd be in the thick of the conversation. They'd be probably clinching on Saturday. It's crazy out of 162 games that it comes down to that winning games early is key, is critical. And, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes, man. Buckle up. It's going to be a fun weekend. Also equally important, Pop, is that we are against the clock and we're going to take our final timeout and we're going to really focus on the National Football League when we come back and maybe some news and notes about 
opening day from Santa Anita, which is going to set us up for the month of October leading up to the Breeders' Cup. So a lot of excitement back in SoCal with the races. You're intimately tied to the scene. Let's see what kind of nuggets you could share with us before this meet starts manana. Stay with us, everyone. We'll be back right after this. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at TheMikeAbadirShow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Back on the Mike Avenue show, you know, sometimes when they give us that feed coming out of a break pop, it literally is, uh, it, it blocks blocks your voice, uh, you know, r- the 10 seconds leading up. So I hear like an attempt to uh, share a final note with me before we start, but I'm never able to hear it. And that's why I, I, I never respond because I can't hear anything to respond to. But we were talking about Santa Anita and... I was mentioning how there's a lot of excitement leading up to the Breeders' Cup. There's nobody better in terms of a local than Pop DiBiase. At one point, maybe maybe, maybe Gino was on the scene, but Pop is, and I'm not trying to start a little rivalry or anything, but Pop DiBiase is intimately involved with that scene for many, many years. You basically were born at Santa Anita, Practically, uh, let's let's talk about this upcoming meet. What are the trends? What are the things to look for? You were mentioning before we uh, came back on the air during the break about the importance of form cycle. So, 
why don't you go ahead and take it from there? Okay, well, you know, me and Mike were talking about, you know, what horses you should be on and what horses you should try to avoid. And I usually say when you're doing, you know, this fall meet at Santa Anita, which is kind of, I would say, the the meat market, because a lot of these races are claiming races. A lot of these horses are coming to get flipped, to be put in new barns and all that stuff, or to be taken out for their retirement. You know, some of these horses, it's going to be their final races. And pretty much the way that you have to gauge it is, you have to go by the conditions and all that good stuff. But say if you have a claiming race, um, you want to go with a horse that possibly has had some, you know, some, it's not issues, but just didn't run well. You know, uh, you know, went to Los Alamitos and finished fifth, and then went to Del Mar and finished seventh. But you know that horse always runs big at Santa Anita. So the horse is back at Santa Anita, and sometimes you can look at the time of the year the horse won at Santa Anita. Say the horse won in the fall time, like uh, October or November or something of that nature. Those are always great horses to jump on because they know they that's their time of the year where they're feeling at their absolute best. And these trainers know what they're doing when they're placing these horses. And that's why I always tell people you have to think like a trainer. Once you understand how conditions work, you should be you will be a horse racing maestro. You know what I mean? You don't need to listen, and no offense to the people on TVG and NYRA on Fox and all that stuff. They are great. They are awesome experts. They know everything that they're talking about. But a lot of times they do mislead y'all to the favorites because that's what they're, they're programmed to do because they want to get you an easy winner. But then you have the guys like who are like uh, Paul LaDuca, or like a Matt Carruthers, or like a Nick Hines, and they're going to sit there and find you a horse that's going to pay your rent, possibly, or give you exotic that's going to be a real bang for your buck. And that's... You know, you know who's also like that? Is that hockey dude on NBC. Uh, Yeah, but he's just showing off for NBC, bro. <laughs> you know, he, those are those uh, turf club, I've drank six damn uh, cocktails, and I'm feeling I'm feeling good because I got the tip sheet from the wise guy who's who's from Brooklyn who sits at Aqueduct all day. Those are fi- those are fighting words with y- your boxing background, his hockey background. See who could duke it out and come up with more long shot winners. I got my money on Pop DiBiase for sure, but I hear what you're saying, man. Um, uh, for the most part, I do my own handicapping. You know, the only things I'll listen to from any of these television shows is maybe certain angles, certain trends, and most importantly, I like to hear the trainers talk. So when they have those interviews, sometimes I'm able to get a nugget or two of information from what the trainer says or how he says it, right? How he says it. Uh, during the early part of the Del Mar meet, I'll give you a very quick example that we got to move on. Early part of the Del Mar meet, there was a uh, a trainer who was being interviewed with the owner. And it may have been Ron Ellis, actually. Don't quote me on that. But basically, I'm going to paraphrase. It was like, we know when we have a live horse because the the uh, we'll, come, we'll come out 
the owners will come out in their suits rather than like without the tie on or something like that. Let's give it an example. And so when you see that guy show up with a suit, he's looking pretty for the winner's circle photo. And so I caught on to a couple little things like that. Thank you to TVG for those interviews. Uh, I know Fox brings them as well. But I wouldn't necessarily put a lot of money based on, you know, Mike Joyce's prediction. I love Mike Joyce. Yeah, I know him personally. He's a good guy. But I'm not necessarily banging out plays based on Mike Joyce's double that he's going to give at Del Mar or something like that, you know, or any of those guys. I just picked Mike Joyce because he's, he's a good dude uh, and he's engaging on television. It would be easy to uh, jump on board with his selections. But that's the case for anybody, any of these guys on, on, on any of these channels. You got to trust your own handicapping a little bit. If you're playing, if you're a serious player, you really got to look at this from the perspective of one thing I've always said, one thing I've always said is this. One thing I've always said is this. The favorite should look most appealing on paper. That's why they're the favorite. Right? Like, you know, it's kind of like in, in any sport. You know, the team with a better record. Uh, the team that maybe is hot lately. Like, there are reasons why a team is favored in any matchup. The key is to figure out which horses can I make a case for and what are their chances. You know, if you look at something and you're like, you know what, I think every 10 races this horse would win once against this exact same field but then you're getting 40 to one, that's value. I would right. jump on that. You know, right. if, if there's a horse that you're like, you know what, Th this horse has beaten the favorite the last three contests. Right. But the, but the favorite, you know, whatever, it's, it's, it's Bob Baffer and the other guy is, uh, you know, uh, Ruiz, I don't know, I'm just, uh, Shelby Ruiz or something, you know, I don't even know if she's banned right now or not. If she is, if she is, sorry to even mention that in the same sentence. I know they've been involved with some stuff, uh, but you know what I mean? Like those are the things that you got to look at as a horse player. And the beauty of a new meet is this pop. And then we can move on. The beauty of the new meet is when you look at the stats, everybody starts off at zero, zero percent. Nobody has a single win at the Santa Anita meet yet. If you can uncover who are some of those guys where you're going to get some value on because their stat sheet isn't loaded yet, you're going to make some good money in the early part of the meets. So before we, we move on, Pop, any trainers that we should keep an eye on at Santa Anita? Dude, what kind of question is that, Mike? There's only one trainer you keep your eyes on. The one that can walk into any auction in America or the world and go pick up a $2 million horse with 10 different, uh, with, with the owner, uh, with whatever owner he chooses on the Rolodex. Come on, bro. Bob Baffert. You know, we got to see what Baffert's doing. But I'm going to keep it real with you. 
Richard Mandela got the horse with uh, Tamara, the um, the uh, beholder boat Dioro Philly that's probably gonna turn everybody's uh, head come uh, the end of uh, October when they uh, do the uh, Breeders' Cup. What about your boy, uh, Doug O'Neill? You know, that's home team, good news only, uh, boat racing, Radham racing, all those good stuff. So when you get when you see the purple and white, y'all, you 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 can't look past it. If it says Nyquist or Uncle Mo, you gotta you gotta uh, you gotta give that horse a, a look, uh, a measured look. And Doug, he always has some horses, and I think that his best horse coming into this fall meet is gonna be Ceiling Crusher. But Ceiling Crusher is being prepped for the Breeders' Cup. Stephen Crest folks at uh, there you go. Uh, Penn National the other day, and that one of those uh, those uh, matriarch races that that evolve around the um, Penn Derby. There you go. Okay, yeah. because we're uh, limited on time, and we got to wrap up momentarily here. I think for me, my takeaway in terms of NFL Week Three, as we're headed to Week Four, is bad quarterbacking. <laughs> and I think it's going to be more and more of a storyline as the season goes on, as yeah. more guys get hurt. But bad quarterbacking has been plaguing the NFL. And I'm surprised that you don't hear more people talking about it. But how about these guys that had big expectations, like Justin Fields, uh, or even like the Vikings, you know, they're 0 for right now. And how about the, the gunslinger himself, Joe Burrow? You know, not looking that great right now. Uh, there's a lot of guys who just don't look good. You know, you know almost anybody besides Mahomes and Jalen Hurts and and uh, Purdy can look pretty just handing off the ball and he'll be fine. But he's actually been throwing it pretty well too. Um, Zach Wilson's a disaster. The Jets are a disaster. There's a lot of disaster teams. We'll 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 focus on that. Since we got two minutes before we close, Pop, what uh, what are you looking at in week four? What plays might you consider banging? Give give the folks some winners on the way out the door here. Look, Mike, and one one, and I'm just gonna add this on. You saying bad quarterback play? Let's go ahead and give props to that great defensive line play. Front sevens are absolutely incredible in the NFL right now, and nobody that's. Right. Nobody's really talking about, but um, but when we get down to the picks, my dog bet of the week will be the Atlanta Falcons in the game in uh, London, and my ice cold, I would say the one that you take with two fists, and this is going to be a shocker, Chargers, they're going to smoke the Raiders by three touchdowns just so we can get McDaniel's fired. Man. I've been on a campaign against McDaniel since before he got there, man. So, I, you know, I hate to see them getting whipped, but in this case, I'd love to see them getting whipped. So I, I'm with you on that page. Uh, you know, this this week, again, doesn't necessarily have a lot of great matchups. You got a lot of garbage matchups like the Broncos and the Bears and the Vikings and the Panthers. But we do get the Dolphins and the Bills. That should be a lot of fun. The Ravens yep. and the Browns. Ravens yep. and Browns always are, are a fun matchup, and even Dan DC it, DC against the Eagles is usually a pretty fun matchup too. Outside Possibly of that, of the week, 
I'm sorry. Yeah, I, mean, I was just gonna say outside of that, not not a lot of great matchups. Um, maybe the Saints and Buccaneers because they got a little history together there. Yeah. But um, that's that's pretty much it, man. That's all the time we have for today. So thank you to Voice America. Thank you to you, Pop DiBiase. Most of all, thank you to the listener. Without you, there is no show. We will see you same time, same place next week. Enjoy your sports weekend, everyone. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.